Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. I like him personally, but I think he's as mad as a cut snake. What's the bugger going to say next? That's a random Australian talking about my co-presenter, Tom Holland, (laughs) quoting Bob Hawke, Prime Minister of Australia, talking about another Prime Minister of Australia many years later, Tony Abbott. So Australians, Tom, if you've ever watched debates um, uh, from the Australian legislature, they have a, um, a splendid way with words. I haven't really, but I have watched, obviously, um, Ashes series. Oh, yeah. So I've seen how Australians They're behave to visiting sp- English cricketers. Political sledging. They're absolutely brilliant at political sledging. Well, so, yeah, sledging is the great Australian art. Yeah. M- mental disintegration. So for, so for our overseas listeners who don't know what sledging is, sledging is basically it was just abuse. Abuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you were quoting um, Bob Hawke. Yeah, and that's where we got to. Yeah, so we've been going through uh, Australia's wartime and post-war prime ministers. Um, we were planning to do it in one episode, then we were planning to do it in two episodes. Um, but there are just so many Australian prime ministers that we're having to do it in three. And we've come now to probably the pri- the Australian prime minister who, to the average POM, yeah. Would be the kind of the platonic ideal of an Australian he is, prime he's minister. The parody- he's he's, he's the paradigm of, a, yeah. of an Australian prime minister. He's kind of square jawed, craggy, loves a pint, and in fact, I mean, his great feat. Uh, he was a Rhodes Scholar at, at Oxford. Um, he uh, he set the world record for downing a yard of ale in eleven seconds. He did it in eleven seconds. So, just for people who don't know, which I assume is ninety nine percent of people, a yard of ale. It's a it's a very thin long glass, um, and I think the I think they have it at the Turf Tavern in Oxford. Tom, if you've ever been to the Turf, a kind of classic Oxford pub, they have it behind the bar, and I think that's the the yard of ale that Bob Hawke downed. I mean, it's a colossal amount of yeah, because there's photos of him up there. I think kind yeah, of doing it exactly, and he downed it in eleven seconds, and that as a feat, I mean, that is that is unsurpassed. I mean, that was a world record. I think it still is, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's been if it's been beaten. But anyway, Bob Hawke. So in our previous podcast about Australia, certainly in the first one, which which was less about trousers and more about genuine kind of themes of Australian political history, we talked about the religious stuff, which I know it obviously sort of you you enjoy. Um, and how many of them? How many Australian senior Australian politicians came from religious backgrounds or backgrounds in which they had maybe abjured their religion, and there was there was still a kind of sense of mission and stuff. And that's very true. I mean, Bob Hawke appears to be this kind of hard drinking, you know, barbecue loving Mister Australia, but his father was a Congregationalist pastor, and as a as a boy, he was brought up in this atmosphere of. Um, of of sort of almost sort of suffocating religious intensity, so his his um his his father told him, according to his biographer, that um he should believe in the fatherhood of God, and that heaven was all around him, and all this kind of thing. And he absolutely grows up in that atmosphere, right? So it won't surprise you <laughs> to hear that. Obviously, I think that there's an incredibly Christian strain within the left's approach to policy 
you know, Hawke is essentially, I mean, that's that's what his politics is, a secularised version of those kind of Christian principles. I think that's absolutely true. So apparently when he was a boy growing up in, um, where's he growing up? He's growing up in a place called Bordertown. Um, and he's he has gets a scholarship to school in Perth and so on. But he, when he's a boy, I mean, these are not sort of glamorous places by Australian standards. Uh, but even when he's a boy, because he's so clever, his, his family joke, and they'll say he'll be prime minister one day. And he goes off to the University of Western Australia to study law. And he's riding home on his motorbike um, when he feels something wrong. And he has this crash, this terrible crash. And he almost is killed. He spends days between life and death. And um, his you know, his mother says to him, you've been spared and it's a sign of God's providence. And Hawke absolutely believes it. He says later, he says later, I firmly believe that God had spared my life. He thinks he's been given this new chance and he's determined not to, to waste it. And that basically drives him into um, sort of good works and so on. So he joins. Well, it doesn't the- stop him drinking, does it? It doesn't stop him. So he literally has alcohol poisoning in 1963. Yeah, he does. But he's also, by that point, he's given up his faith because you know why? He went to, um, India with the World Conference of Christian Youth. And he was really shocked that the World Conference of Christian Youth were having a great time. You know, they're staying in nice places and, and presumably knowing him getting lashed every night. He's struck by the contrast with the poverty of the people around them. And he thinks he can't reconcile this. Mm. And he basically loses his faith. But as you say, Tom, he retains that sense of mission. His sense of mission, yeah. Um, the, and, but he sort of, that, that, that brings him into trade unionism and trade yeah, union politics. Yeah, and so we, we, talked, we mentioned him briefly in the, uh, our discussion of Whitlam, Gough Whitlam affair yesterday. Uh, he was a very prominent trade union leader. Um, and that provides him with the springboard then to, to enter politics. Um, but he's also interesting. He's very pro-American. Yeah, um, I saw actually this. a kind of informant to the, to the U.S., um, so yeah, kind of, you know, an interesting combination. But there is that tradition in, in Australian politics as indeed in British politics of, um, sort of very self-consciously patriotic in Australia, obviously even more so anti-communist kind of pro-Western oh, yeah. alliance kind of left-wing politics. And, James Callaghan. Yeah. I mean, James Callaghan, Dennis Healy, that kind of, I mean, I think Hawke absolutely kind of, um, conforms to that pattern. It's, it's remarkable that he enters parliament only three years before he becomes prime minister. Yeah, and fans of Le Carre will be very excited to learn the name of the Labour leader who he replaces, which is Bill Hayden. Oh, the... I went. I went. No, we shouldn't give it away. But, but uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah, it's great that he does replace. In that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, and Hawke is an incredibly successful prime minister. Yeah, but interestingly, so as you say, he's got this kind of, you know this image of being the plain speaking craggy um i mean he is he really is a man's man isn't he with all this these drinking feats even though he's well, given up ex- booze yeah he gives it up he pledges to give it up when he enters parliament and and um he sticks to that yeah until but, he leaves office but his politics are a really interesting mix because he he basically revives and intensifies the universal healthcare that um, Gough Whitlam had tried to pioneer in the 70s but also in his economic stuff that i mean that yeah that looks all very reforming and stuff but it's actually not that dissimilar from what the Thatcher government Thatcher's are doing yeah are doing is doing in britain so floating the australian dollar deregulating the economy bringing down tariffs yeah bringing down barriers all that sort of stuff oh basically opening the australian economy up to globalization and to the economic trends of the late 20th century you know he's doing it from a left-wing 
sort of um, perspective, but it's not really that dissimilar from what Thatcher and Jeffrey Howe were doing in Britain from a right wing standpoint in the early nineteen eighties. Um, and it's and it's funny that the people so rarely draw parallels between the two because you're so imprisoned by kind of partisanship. Well, I think also because uh, the example of Hawke and then Keating, who succeeds him, are, are so influential on New Labour in Britain. Yeah, I think that's so absolutely they, right. But you, yeah, I mean, it's 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 it, it's a fascinating parallel, <laughs> really is. But you mentioned Keating, Tom. Yeah, I mean that's a great partnership, isn't it? I mean that's one of that that's the arguably the great partnership. Well, it's a partnership that goes wrong. So again, a bit like I mean, I'm sorry for Australian listeners to endlessly reducing it to parallels with new labor but there's a kind of blair brown dynamic so on there so the interesting thing about Hawke is that he as you say was a Rhodes scholar he didn't really like oxford and didn't like the british i think no and so he he legislates to remove uh you know the last kind of links to well he gets rid of the anthem doesn't he yeah the um he says at one point it's absolutely ridiculous that basically when the british win some win an olympic gold they get up and it's god save the queen if we beat them it's, god save the queen. it's also god save the queen um which I think is is probably fair enough, but but um, I think partly because he's a Rhodes Scholar and he's so clever and he's so successful and all of this stuff, he can play the part very happily of the ordinary guy because he doesn't he's got nothing to lose, you know. So he doesn't have any psychological hang-ups about people thinking he's stupid or anything. So he can sort of say, "Well, all I'm interested in is gambling, watching loads of sports, smoking cigars." Um, obviously would have been alcohol in the old days. So he can do all that, but his treasurer and his political partner, Hawke Keating, can't do all that. Because he yeah, because he um he's Catholic, Irish descent, working yeah. class, and he leaves school at fourteen. So his father yeah, his father was a boilermaker. And he I mean to leave school at fourteen and to be involved in Australian politics in the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties, I mean that must he yeah. Keating clearly has a very, very strong sense of I've I've fought and scrapped my way up. I haven't had any advantages. I but also, you you was you were saying so, so. Hawk, who has been to Oxford and is transparently, you know, he has all kinds of academic credentials, can play the larrikin. Yeah, you know. So so after he let after he leaves office, it, one of his favourite stunts is to go to cricket grounds and drown entire pints in again eleven seconds or something. Yeah. the entertainment of fans. So there's great great video footage of him doing that. Whereas um, Keating. Although he is this, um, you know, he has kind of the image of a um, kind of a tough street, yeah, street tough, fighter, isn't he? Yeah. Street fighter. Um, he he loves Marla. He collects French antique clocks. Um, <laughs> so really, the, the pair of them are such fascinating. They are and impressive men. Yeah. Um, I mean, their record is really extraordinary, and and it's under them really that Australia comes to seem, I think, to 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 countries in Europe and America who previously might not have paid much attention to australia that they're very very interested in what they're doing that they're socially progressive and they're kind of um economically liberal mm-hmm. which essentially establishes the template for the kind of gov- you know the third way yeah for clinton um, that, blair exactly yeah, yeah. schroeder um well and they schroeder's not a name we bandy around on this podcast no but he but, but i mean he that, that's pretty much what he did it is it is i mean I, you know he in at the time he was seen as a very successful leader so um australia blazes the path there um, but this kind of homicidal Game of Thrones aspect <laughs> to, to Australian party politics that we mentioned in the previous episode, Hawke ends up being assassinated by Keating, his long-term mate. Well, they'd had an agreement, hadn't they, called the Kirribilli. I don't know if I'm pronouncing yeah. that correctly. The Kir- that's the Prime Minister's house in Sydney. 
They'd had this agreement in 1988. Very, very so. I know you've already, you've already yeah. apologized for the constant parallels, but the, it's very Granita to British listeners. The the Blair Brown Pact, and this pact basically was that Hawke would hand over to Keating, and he didn't. He basically said to him, "In occupation of the crease, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes." And I'm Keating, not throwing away my wicket. And Keating, you know, tries these kind of does this leadership challenge in the summer, I think, in '91, when the economy is actually already beginning to to start to turn. So the, the economic miracle of the 80s is, is, is beginning to fade. Keating challenges Hawke, and he doesn't win the, f- the first, does he? But then he he does win a second time in the second challenge at the end of 91 in December. Yeah. And um, becomes prime minister, yeah. And becomes prime minister. And and he's Keating was an absolute hate figure, wasn't he, for the British tabloids? Yes. Well, so, so I mean, he's, he's as we said, kind of of Irish descent, so there's a definite you know that 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 strain of anti-british resentment of um britain as a class-ridden monarchical uh antiquated crumbling empire yeah um is is definitely a motivating factor for him we mentioned in the first episode about the um the anglo-australian bust up over who was responsible for the debacle at singapore um in the second world war and uh, keating had very strident views on that that it was the fault of the british is he um, and and he's and he's very you know he's a, he's very keen to see the queen removed as head of state and for Australia to become the republic. Yeah. And he um, says Britain and in, is the country which decided not to defend the Malayan Peninsula, not to worry about Singapore, and not to give us our troops back to keep ourselves free from Japanese domination. So there's yeah. absolutely no shreds of the old kith and kin no, from Paul Keating. He's, he's the opposite of Robert Menzies. Yeah. Um, and so the queen comes on a state visit in 1992. And Keating tells her basically, um, you know, we we want a republic, and the Queen plays it very well. I mean, she's she says, "Fine, you know, whatever you want to do." Mm. Um, and uh, but the thing, <laughs> the thing that gets the British tabloids going is that Keating touches Her Majesty, but he touches her. I mean, let's be honest, <laughs> not t- but not like um, John Gorton had touched Liza Minnelli. No, he touches her in the most fleeting. And sort yeah. of barely noticeable way. He puts his hand and, for and a moment. And concerned, isn't it? I mean, she's, you know, he's concerned to, that she doesn't fall. He's helping her. He like ushers I mean, her down a chivalrous gesture. or something like that yeah. with his hand for a second yeah. on her back. Yeah. And everybody and the, then says... And the camera slaps it. Yeah. And the, so they call him the Lizard of Oz. The Lizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, and everybody says, oh my God, it's absolutely disgraceful, typical Australian behaviour, trying to grope our dear queen. <laughs> but, I mean, it's hard to feel too sorry for Keating because... Um, I mean, he really gives as good as he gets. He, he's brilliant, he is, isn't he? He is fabulous w- with the insults. Why, so the opposition leader, John Hewson, this is a very famous quote in Australia, says basically, why won't you call an early election? And Keating says, I want to do you slowly. <laughs> the answer is, mate, I want to do you slowly. <laughs> <laughs> You're very good at this, Tom. I shall defer to you on the Australian insult impersonation. So during the, eight, during the 80s, uh, the leader of the opposition was a guy called Andrew Peacock. Uh, and he said the leader of the opposition is more to be pitied than despised. The poor old thing, the Liberal Party of Australia ought to put him down like a faithful old dog because he is of no use to it and of no use to the nation. Um, and then another leader of the opposition, actually, I think it may still be Andrew Peacock. He, again, he just said, I did not slither out of the cabinet room like a mangy maggot. <laughs> um, uh, he uh, he described John Howard, who subsequently became uh, Liberal Prime Minister, as a little desiccated coconut. Uh, and he was incredibly rude about uh, John Howard had Dennis Healy type um, 
Eyebrows. And uh, Georges Pompidou. Yeah. Style. Ray Reardon. Eyebrows. I will never get to the stage of wanting to lead the nation standing in front of the mirror every morning, clipping the eyebrows here and clipping the eyebrows there with Jeanette and the kids. It's like spot the eyebrow. Oh God! So good, good. I mean, good yeah. rough knockabout stuff. But he called the the liberals um, a motley dishonest crew. He called the National Party dummies and dimwits, desperados. And he said of another um, opposition politician, Peter Costello, being attacked by him was like being flogged with warm lettuce. Yeah, and, com- and Jeffrey Howe style compared yeah. him to a dead sheep being sandwiched by a dead sheep. Don't know who came first with that actually. But actually, uh, the r- thing is that Keating Tom is a. Um, He's a great character, but also he is a substantial politician because he, Literally, yeah, he he. Not only does he embody a long-running kind of tr- sort of a long-running strain in Australian politics, which is the sort of, um, I suppose, populist, reformist, anti-British, chippy, kind of, chippy, yeah, chippy. But chippy can be good as well as bad because, so, so for Definitely. example, it's Keating who, in nineteen ninety-two, gives this hugely important landmark speech. Uh, called the Redfern Park speech about Aboriginal reconciliation, which because we talked in the very first podcast six weeks ago on, that we did on Australian politics, um, we talked about racism and the white Australia policy. And Keating really is the first prime minister. I mean, the, obviously there have been Labour prime ministers in particular who've sort of faced up to it before, but he's the first one who who goes really out of his way. Yeah, and I want I, I wonder if it's. Um... In a way, the fact that he is seen as such a street fighter, the fact mm-hmm. that he has such a caustic tongue, means that that when he does this, it has a greater impact. Yeah. So ra- ra- rather like the fact that he's so obviously, you know, he's a Labour politician. He also famously says about the recession that it was um, uh, it was the recession we had to have, which was yeah. a you know a phrase that the Liberal Party really tried to hang around his neck in the election of ninety three, which is the year after he becomes prime minister. But amazingly, you know, he wins it, so it's a kind of John Major style election yeah. victory against the odds so i think he i think he's um yeah a very impressive charismatic figure he's sort of stuck with his approach hasn't he because even now in the last few months he's still quite vocal he says australia should pivot towards he's he's, he's very much of the view that australia should pivot towards asia towards china he says our most important you know partner is, Indo- is not britain or america it's indonesia he when they signed you remember when um the australians scott morrison Signed that AUKUS deal with Britain and America and yeah, sure we'll French. Come to that, yeah, Keating, you know, came out and said should never have signed this deal. Uh, we shouldn't be getting into bed with what he called the jaded and faded Anglosphere, mm. and we should be doing deals with our straight with our Asian neighbours, not with which the is Brits the perspective of of New Zealand, pretty much. Right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's a strain in in Australia and New Zealand. He he's prime minister till ninety six, when he loses the election to uh, John Howard the little desiccated coconut with the <laughs> eyebrows. Um, and John Howard is a, is a, you know, I mean, he's a very, very long serving, very successful prime minister. So I think we should take a break at this point. Uh, and when we come back, we will, the final, the final segment of this who, who thought mighty Antipodean it. odyssey through <laughs> uh, the history of Australian prime ministers. So we'll see you then. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Caddy Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, 
Was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me, so I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii, okay? And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. G'day, welcome back to The Rest is History. Uh, we have reached the reign of John Howard, who was Prime Minister for, it seemed like forever, didn't it? Yes. Um, <laughs> so 11 years, 1996 to 2007. I, I'll be frank. I don't find John Howard an immensely exciting political personality. What is exciting is that he's genuinely descended from convicts. So he's descended from a convict who was transported for stealing a watch. However... So he's a, he's a very substantial figure, isn't but he's, he? He's he's on the the Anglophile monarchist conservative yeah. uh, right. Great pals with George, with George W. Bush. Yes, very great. Um, and um, he is the second longest serving Australian prime minister after Menzies, and he's a rather Menzies esque figure. More British than the British. Mm, I wouldn't go that far, but I mean, he he is. I mean, I think essentially the the fact I I, I think that rather like. Um, Blair and Brown benefit from Kenneth Clark's stewardship of the economy. Yeah. Uh, I think that Howard benefits from Keating's stewardship of the economy. And I think that the Australian economy is in such good fettle mm-hmm. for his premiership that essentially he doesn't really need to do anything. It just kind of chugs along. Yeah. Although he does, in foreign affairs, he's very activist, isn't he? I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he's very into the war on terror. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's George Bush regards him as a personal friend during the height of the war on terror, and he's probably the most enthusiastic, most overtly enthusiastic of because I mean Tony Blair does the sort of act of sort of there's a sense of him agonising about the right path, I suppose, isn't there? You don't get right, that he's with, straight in, yeah, straight in there, straight yeah. in. There. He's a devout Christian, Howard, and he's also very pleasingly for you, Tom, a massive cricket fan. Yeah, well, this is a bit of a theme, isn't it? It is. Are there any Australian prime ministers who haven't been? Who say I couldn't? Can't, I hate it. I can't stand cricket. I'm sick of it. No, don't know. Uh, there must be, but maybe it's something that you can't admit. I mean, yes. like British prime ministers, you know, can't admit they don't like football. They can though. They can really. No, they don't really. We'll have to pretend. Look I at David Cameron. Yeah, he couldn't even remember it. Well, I mean, he's... which one it was? <laughs> yes. Um, one thing that rises and falls under um, Howard 
is uh, the figure of Pauline Hanson. Ah, uh, yes. Who is, um, she's kind of been aligned to the Liberal Party, but she is very hostile to the end of the non-white, the end of the white Australia policy. Uh, maybe maybe I'm being a bit unfair to them. Maybe it's a bit more nuanced than that. But basically, she's, she is kind of Nigel Farage on steroids. Yeah, that's right. Um, and and Howard is also, you know, he's well known in, in Europe for his very, very sort of stern immigration policy, isn't he? Yeah, but it gets sterner, which we'll come to. Right. So anyway, so basically what we're saying is, is we haven't got a lot to say about him. <laughs> well, or even beyond, though beyond he, his eyebrows. Even though he's a very substantial figure in Australia. But of course, with him, I think that's sort of the point, isn't it? That his yes. his sort of stolidity, you know, he's a bald man with glasses. Yeah, he's the George V of he, Australian Prime Ministers. He absolutely is. I mean, he appeals to these people who are called Howard Battlers. And they are, I suppose, the, the Australian equivalent of what in America people call Reagan Democrats, used to call Reagan Democrats. Mm. Well, Britain, you know, the Red Wall. We call them mm. the Red Wall, don't we? And he appeals to these people who are sort of aspirational, striving. Working class. Yeah, sort but, of upper yeah. working class, lower yeah. middle class, um, self-consciously kind of respectable. They like all the stuff about law and order. They like about strong borders, all that sort of stuff. They don't want anything airy-fairy. And he's very – I mean, it's a little bit like Robert Menzies is – um, the forgotten people, the forgotten Australians. Yeah. Anyway, so 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 a long period of of stolidity, of continuity. He wins four elections. Uh, then he gets defeated, and he actually loses his seat. So that's that's the end of his. That's pretty career. extraordinary, isn't it? To lose and seat, in yeah. a further humiliation, he gets nominated by Australia and New Zealand to lead the International Cricket Council, and he gets rejected. <laughs> really? Yeah. So very sad for him. Why was he rejected? Uh, I because this is when India is starting to really flex its muscles as the cricket superpower right and i think they're fed up with you know englishmen and australians yeah. running the show so i think i can't remember but i think that's i think that's the reason but a, a bit like you know a long the, the long reign of a medieval king being succeeded by absolutely bloody civil war mm-hmm. this is what now happens in australian politics because well, yeah howard's reign ends and he's beaten in the election by labor uh led by uh, kevin rudd who's an impressive figure, uh, studied Chinese, um, spoke Mandarin, been a diplomat. Yeah. But essentially, over the course of the 2010s, it's like the Wars of the Roses, Game of Thrones. (laughs) It's just a kind of constant, everyone knifing each other. Um, You know, people people get assassinated, they come back to life, they kill the person who's assassinated them. And so it goes on. It's all a bit confusing. Well, this is the culture of spills, isn't it? And I I wonder whether it's just actually a... um... It becomes a kind of institutional cultural thing that once yes. you've got into this kind of habit yes. of having a spill every two years, there's just yeah. no reason not to keep having them. Well, it's like the Roman Empire in the third century AD. It is. You know, once yeah. you start bumping off emperors, you think, yeah, why not? Just keep going at yeah. it. Yeah, which they do. And it's weird. It's weird because in a way, I mean, Australia negotiates the 2008 crash perhaps more successfully than any other major industrialized nation. So there's a, you know, the, the, the crash happens, Rudd brings in a stimulation package and Australia avoids recession while everybody else is kind of going you know, mm. tanking. And yet clearly there are strains and stresses. But maybe, I mean, that's, you could argue though, Tom, that um, the stability of Australian life is precisely what allows yeah, maybe. this, this yeah. culture of, yeah, so of almost kind of frivolous. Spectator show. Yeah. They've almost sort of frivolous politics for its own sake. Politics, Although, although, I mean, you would say so the person who commits the first assassination, you would not describe as frivolous because that's Julia Gillard. From Barry. Who, yeah, so so maybe is she the first 
Welsh Prime Minister since Lloyd George? I think she is, because she's, yes, she's, um, she moved to Australia when she was five, I think. Or and she had, a, she had, she got given a little toy koala and she, she dropped it. No. Where and is she it? Was on the ship. Where uh, is it? In the Pacific somewhere. Still at there. At the bottom of the Pacific. Yeah. Oh. So that was very sad. And she, going back to the religious theme, she's from a Baptist background. But I think yes. she I sort of gave up her, her faith. Well, yeah. she, she, she is, if you imagine the Guardian, well, yeah, I've seen as, a female, as a female Australian Prime Minister, that's what she's like. She's the Guardian newspaper in human form. She is, yes. Um, she's a lawyer. She is a uh, feminist. Um, and she doesn't have children. She's not married. She doesn't have children. Yeah. And this will become um, a topic of criticism among people on the right of the Liberal Party, yeah. let's say. Um, so she, she is uh, Rudd's deputy prime minister. She is the minister of education, um, and basically, she ends up feeling that it's her moral duty to stab Rudd in the back. Yeah, so Funny she how does. That works. <laughs> <laughs> so she does, um, and she uh, there's, there's then a hung parliament, and she's able to cobble together a majority by kind of sucking up to the green. There's one green MP, I think, three independents. Um, so a very, very slightly unstable government. She's an okay prime minister, I think. She, well, she's, um, she's always very. She's always being attacked, isn't she? So yeah, there's sort of an air of controversy around her, as as far as I recall, from the moment she became partly, I suppose, because she became PM as a result of assassination, and um, she has this huge feud with Tony Abbott. The uh, I hope t- so. Tony right? Abbott is basically the Daily Mail in <laughs> in human form. So yeah. it's the Guardian against the Daily Mail. Yeah, I think that's um, probably. But well, I think I think I mean I think that that she is the kind of um very well educated progressive female leader who rubs the backs up um deplorables as Hillary Clinton would describe them. Right. Uh, yes. So I think there's there's there is so there is an element definitely of we talked right at the beginning of the way that the idea of mateship can be mm-hmm. quite tough for women to negotiate. Yeah. And I think Gillard suffers from that. And it it leads to probably the thing for which she's most famous, which is a, a, a speech she gives in in Parliament, where she gets a, accused by Tony Abbott of of being a misogynist, uh, and she's so kind of outraged by this, the very idea that she could be a misogynist, and that it's Abbott who's accusing her of being a misogynist, that she kind of launches into this great peroration, which goes viral. Yes, so, I will not um, be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. By this man. If he wants to know what misogyny looks like, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. That's what he needs. It's a shame she doesn't do it in a, in a, in a Welsh accent. I know, I know. Anyway, so so um, she's Prime Minister for three years. And then do you know who knows her? Well, you do. I do, because you've got my notes. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it Kevin Rudd? Yeah. So that's very Game of Thrones. He makes a comeback. Yes, it's like Henry VI succeeding Edward IV. You know, it scrambles yeah. all your timelines. <laughs> so he, he does that, but he's only got three months of power. Because he's then defeated by Tony Abbott. I mean, that was he. He did it, didn't he? Because he basically said we can't win an election under Julia Gillard. Yeah. He, so he stabbed her in the back, and then he promptly lost the election himself. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then so Tony Abbott. So Tony Abbott is so Tony Abbott. I suppose you would say is the is the is a, is a is a very good representative of that other strain in Australian politics that we talked about from the beginning, which is much more overtly pro-British. I mean, he's got his well, he is. I mean, he's born in London. Yeah, and his father is English. Yeah. And he, he's another Rhodes Scholar, Queen's Oxford. Yeah. Uh, again, there's the religious thing, Tom. 
So he's a trainee priest. He was seminarian at one point. And so his nickname is the Mad Monk. The Mad Monk. And I see you've written in the notes, quite Daily Mail in his political views. <laughs> so he, yeah, so, so the, the thing for which he, uh, you know, is, is notorious in Australia yeah. is that, that he reintroduced knighthoods and damehoods, which Gough Whitlam had got rid of. Yeah. And, and, and the person he gives the knighthood to is, is friend of the show and God, Prince Philip. <laughs> which is oh, such an odd <laughs> yeah but you think prince philip you know i mean he probably doesn't need it no i know that is a very odd <laughs> that he wouldn't be the first if i were prime minister of australia and i brought back knighthoods which i would i don't think prince philip would be the first no shane warne <laughs> so. arise sir shane yeah he could you give, could you give ian botham an Australian knighthood? That would, that's what no, I'd do. I don't, I don't think he'd accept it, would he? No, of course he wouldn't. He's a, he's a, a slight climate change sceptic. Why give Prince Philip an honour when he's already... I don't know, Dominic, calm down. He's calm already down. A, but prince Philip is already... He's yes, not, well... He's not only a god, he's a prince. He doesn't need the knighthood. No. Well, this is this is why it was controversial in Australia. They were all saying exactly the same. It's absolute madness. Right, carry on, Tom. Sorry. I, well, I, I was saying about the climate change stuff, that obviously the Australian economy is, is booming in large part. You know, it's not just the kind of careful stewardship of Kevin Rudd and John Howard or whatever. It's, it's because... Uh, China's appetite for the raw materials that Australia can supply China with is is absolutely voracious. Australia is therefore, you know, the economy is dependent on doing kind of things that environmentalists want them to stop doing. Yeah. Which is also why a- another theme in Australian politics over the past decade has has means that kind of fires, bushfires, whatever, rising temperatures are very politically sensitive. They're yeah. not seen as just, you know, acts of God. They're seen as divine punishment for Western Australia's mining industry. But of course, degree. Western Australia is dependent on on that very industry. And the yes. difficulty for the poli- yeah. politicians is that they, um, they're caught, aren't they, between the demands of fighting climate change, but also, you know, it's it's a tough gig for any politician to say it to is a tough gig. You know, part of your you need to give up this incredible. So I think I, I think as an Australian politician, you have two alternatives. One is to be a hypocrite, or one is to be kind of say it's all nonsense. Right. And Tony yeah. Abbott was the it's all nonsense um, school. But the other thing for which Abbott is um, probably most famous in Britain at the moment because he's quite an influence on um, Pretty Patel and Bryce Johnson trying to solve uh, migrants coming over in boats from Calais is uh, Operation Sovereign Borders which right. is the policy that um, people who get picked up in boats get taken to, they're not brought to Australia. They're kind of given to processing centre outside Australia. Yes. And that's obviously been, you know, very influential on. The only way Britain. to dissuade people seeking to come from afar is not to let them in. Is that, yeah. That's Abbott's credo, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, so I mean, certainly to, from the perspective of, you know, of a Julia Gillard, yeah. he, he's a kind of unregenerate, pitbull of a <laughs> well there is right wing politician i mean i suppose what what you get with australian politics though which is um in a way you could argue quite refreshing is that um it's so full-throated compared with let's say british politics isn't it it's so kind of unapologetically what it is so the yeah. right-wing politicians are incredibly right-wing or or at least you know their rhetoric is incredibly you know, sort of full on. And the same is true, I think, with the left-wing politicians. I mean, you see these, I said before about the, if you ever see footage of debates in the Australian legislature, I mean, they're absolutely going for each other. With yeah. No holds barred. Yeah. Um, in this sort of, uh, you know, there's no sort of pretense of elegance and, 
um, sort of honorable s- member. No, they're just kind of absolutely. They're, I mean, Paul Keating, language. Paul Keating called the op- his opponents scumbags. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, the bloodletting continues because Tony Abbott, after two years in power, gets knifed by um, another liberal who's kind of liberal-ish. So. More moderate could, easily, could, could as easily have become a Labour politician, um, a guy called Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah, they're all called Malcolm is, on there in Australia. Well, he, so he is the second Australian Prime Minister to have gone to Brasenose College in Oxford. And he was Prime Minister of Australia at the same time as David Cameron, who also went to Brasenose College. Were they there at the same Minister. time? That's the question. They, no, but, they, but they're Prime Ministers at the same time. And um, they are one of two pairings of Prime Ministers who both went to the same Oxford College. Ooh. Do you know the other? So the two prime ministers went to the same college, that, and they two and they were prime ministers at the same time. They're two Commonwealth prime ministers or two Anglo-Australian Commonwealth. Commonwealth. Um, I'll give you a clue. They were on. both women. So it's Theresa May. No, no, Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher. Somerville. Yeah, Somerville and um, Indira Gandhi. Oh golly, that is a good fact. That's a great. That is a very good fact. There's a great drama to be written there, Tom. About them reminiscing <laughs> yes. about their days yeah. at Somerville together. Yeah. So um, the other thing for which Malcolm Turnbull is famous in Britain is that he played a leading role in defending Peter Wright, who was a rather seedy MI5 agent. Yeah. Or was he MI6? I can't remember. MI5. Who, who published a book called Spy Catcher, which you'll know all about, Dominic, because it's it's all about Harold Wilson. Yes. And- he claimed that he and uh, lots of other MI5 agents had conspired against Harold Wilson when Harold Wilson was prime minister of Britain in the 1970s. And so um, Mrs. Thatcher brought in the Official Secrets Act, didn't she? Yes, to and try and... said, you can't publish it. And so he published it in Australia. And so the full might of the British uh, um, civil service, kind of the, the most elegant yes minister type mandarins went over there and were humiliated by Turnbull. <laughs> so economical with the truth, I think Robert Armstrong, Robert Armstrong, who was head of the British civil yeah. service, was kind of admitted basically to having lied. <laughs> Um, so it all, it was all a disaster. Uh, and on top of that, uh, Turnbull was a, a very prominent Republican. Which is interesting given that he's on the right of Australian politics. Yeah. So, so that's why he could easily have been Labour. Because he was the chair, wasn't he, of the campaign for a republic in the, because they had a referendum in 1999. Yeah. So yes, he's very much on the sort of the, the, the softer wing, I suppose, of the Australian yeah. right. But surprise, surprise. He doesn't sit easily on the on the throne for long, does he? What has he got? Three years, and then he's knifed by the abbots, the abbotists. What were the abbotists? Yes. Would they be called the abbotists? I suppose yes. The, the abbotards, the mad monks. Um, and he was succeeded by Scott Morrison. Now, Scott Morrison has, has of course, as our listeners will now know, they will no longer be prime minister. They, they will know Scott Morrison by the time you listen to this. And I have don't. to say, of Scott Morrison, to me, he just looks like a, a man at a garden centre. I don't really have anything to say about it. He looks him. like a koala. Do you think so? Yeah. He knocked somebody over. He knocked he knocked a child over. He was playing football he was and playing he football. kind of he did a Boris Johnson tackle. basically. Yes. yes. And also there was a very funny he was he was out campaigning and giving a speech on uh, on a lawn and the the bloke whose lawn it was came out and said, "Get off my lawn." Yes, that's true. <laughs> so that was fun. That was very nicely sort of egalitarian Australian, I thought. Yes. He did just get off the lawn. Yes. He was like, "Oh, sorry," and he got off the lawn. But he see I mean he seems the kind of man to whom these things happen. Slightly gaff prone. So his big gaff was that in um 2019-20 that summer in Australia, there were terrible terrible bushfires. And you remember talking of koalas, all the koalas burnt to death. It was 
mm. absolutely awful, kind of the highest temperatures Australia had ever known. And he was on holiday in Hawaii. And this, oh, that's right, yes. This did not go down well. And uh, the other thing, I guess, for which he's recently been, I mean, he was he had a good COVID, I think. I mean, he he managed it quite well. He he maintained Fortress Australia and then brought the the vaccine in. So mm-hmm. Australia's death rate's been much lower than it was in Europe. But he, um, oh, and, and Alcos, you said the submarine deal. Oh yeah, annoyed, he annoyed the eating. French. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and but but he kind of presided over the Djokovic <laughs> debacle. That's right. That's right. Yes. Was it a debacle? I mean, well, I think he was trying to leverage it because he had the election coming up, and he thought it would play well. Yeah, I think. I but think. it all got scrambled with kind of government, you know, uh, federal and state. That's right. Yeah. Levels. So anyway, uh, and also he's a Pentecostalist. Is he? Does he speak yes. in tongues? I don't know if he does. I, I mean, I, I think he kind of periodically in interviews he's intimated that he does, and then but he's never done it in an interview. So he. Yeah, he does. He does think that um, uh, trolls on social media are, are literally uh, emanations of the devil. Well, that will be a relief to you, Tom, when you get abuse from academics on. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah, Satan is speaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. No, so, so we'll see. We'll so we'll the see. question is: I mean, obviously, the, that culture of spills is ridiculous and probably very damaging to good government because it just means you know prime ministers have come and go within two years and presumably spend an enormous amount of time watching their backs watching their backs do you think i mean we talked about the some of these robert menzies and you know bob hawk and and so on gough whitlam do you think it's fair to say that the standard has declined i don't know enough about australian politics to say that but my feeling is is that we always think the politicians who are around, more recent are, are less of effective. course we do of course because you know, we always kind of you know we're already we're looking back and saying Oh, you know, remember Theresa May, what the a giant. golden days of Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn, what giants <laughs> they were. Well, um, I think, I mean, because people often say this about British politics, which has also been very unstable in the last 10 years or so at the top. And the one thing that occurs to me is just, I mean, it's true. People have always said the standards have, were falling. I mean, there's never a point where people didn't bemoan the collapse in political leadership. But the fact that people always say it doesn't therefore mean. I mean, it's not true. That it's not true, that it can never fall. I mean, I think Kevin Rudd, Julia Gillard, Malcolm Turnbull, Scott Morrison, Tony Abbott, are they of the same stature as the prime ministers? Are they genuinely of the well, same stature as the prime ministers of the 1940s and 1950s? Or is, are, we, are we only saying that because the context is different, because we're less deferential? You know, these are difficult questions. I, th- I think Hawke and, and Keating were clearly exceptional politicians, but mm-hmm. also exceptional. They weren't just politicians. They were masters of the art of politics, but they put it to to, to purposes that were very interna- influential, not just you know within the context of Australian politics, but internationally. Yeah. So in a sense, they blazed the path for Clinton and Blair and Schroeder and all yeah. that kind of tradition. Um, and I think that that since then, Australia's circumstances, because of its you know it has all these mineral resources and it has this relationship with China, has meant that it slightly uncoupled itself from trends within, say, Europe or America. Right. But I think that that relationship with China, which has been an issue in Australian politics right from the point of federation, is becoming more unstable again, which is why Scott Morrison signed that... that the AUKUS. You know, bin, yeah, the AUKUS deal. Okay. Well, we don't know, obviously, the results of the Australian election. Um, when we did our first podcast, 
we thought this would be coming out in the sort of in the wake of the Australian. I mean, there may have been several prime ministers. Yeah, So this, will, so the first one we'll look at. This will be what four or five days after the elections. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so who knows? Given their enthusiasm, <laughs> yeah. Given their enthusiasm for stabbing each other in the back. But the, 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 the I suppose the real for me the real revelation of this is just how incredibly interesting Australian politics is. Uh, and the the irony that in Britain we are so ignorant of it, and we think of it as just unbelievably boring. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a tribute, but I think it has been quite influential. Yeah. So I think you know we talked Tony Abbott's immigration policies have been influential on conservatives here. Um, the Hawke Keating governments were very very influential on Blair and Brown. Um, so I think that you know absolutely politicians certainly are alert to Australia. Yeah, jolly good. All right. Well. Um, Thank you very much for bearing with us for three episodes of what was meant to be a short gallop. Yes. So, I mean, Dominic, when we began this podcast, would you have thought we'd do three episodes on? I didn't, but I mean, that was several days ago. Um, (laughs) So will you do, you give us one more blast, please, uh, Mr. Music, of your didgeridoo to play us out. Okay. Goodbye. Good day. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com.